Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker and I serve as a lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. This is a continuation in our sermon series from the book of 1 Peter, Living Hope, and an exposition from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Thank you, Larry. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on. Turn them to the book of First Peter. We're going to continue our series, Living Hope, this morning. As we mentioned last week, we were in First Peter chapter 1. Still in chapter 1. Last week, we were in 6 through 9. This morning, we're going to be in 10 through 12. And last week, we highlighted these, what Peter was getting at, having joy in trial Uh, having a faith that produces fruit, the fruit of praise, glory, and honor, and seeing the triumph from Christ that he is victorious, and we're also focusing towards an eternal perspective, uh, namely that suffering would last for a little while, but then glory uh, is to come after that. Remind us of what the purpose of Peter is writing to these Gentile Christians uh, facing some form of persecution, probably not empire-wide and probably not to the point of shedding blood, although it would likely continue to escalate. Uh, in New Testament times, that was very common uh, during heavy persecution. But right now, it seems they were facing just some mistreatment, some uh, potential verbi- verbal abuse, some discrimination, uh, what have you. But certainly, they are enduring hardships because of their faith in Christ. And Peter is wanting to encourage them to not set their hope and affection on the things of this world, but in a world to come, and more importantly, in a person, in a living hope found only in Christ, in Christ alone. And so this morning we want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I'm going to read this text, and I'm going to pray for us, and um, we're going to draw some application and some points this morning. But let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. I hope you have your Bibles, and... Um, Hope you've turned there with us to look at this text. But 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, Concerning this salvation, in other words, Peter is borrowing back from what he had just finished in verses 6 through 9, but concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that you have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear this morning. And as we search and inquire in this text, I pray that Jesus would be seen and he would be magnified. Father, I pray that he would go before us and he would make a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And So, Father, I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. And by your Spirit, would you help us to receive and obey and apply your word to our lives. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to call your attention to a few things. Note number one, I want you to see both prophets and preachers. Prophets and preachers that are in this text. And quite honestly, 
if I can be honest with you, it's quite difficult to kind of grasp my mind around what Peter is actually saying here. Note what he says. He says, the prophets searched and inquired carefully. Then he uses that word again, inquiring as to what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering and the glory of Christ. In other words, the prophets, plural, all the prophets were writing within their own context, looking forward to the messianic fulfillment of their writings. And I got to be honest, there's some mystery behind this. And I think the Old Testament, there's mystery behind this. And you see this in the book of Daniel, chapter 8, Daniel having these visions that he had. He says, Daniel, I, Daniel, was overcome, this is 827, and laid sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. So Daniel admitting, I didn't really fully realize what the vision I had had or even how to really make sense of it all. In Daniel chapter 12, he said it again. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of, end of the, to the time of the end. In other words, the prophets are searching and they are waiting for the fulfillment of all the words that they had spoken. And all of it is pointing to Christ as the Messiah. And then note verse 12. He said, it was revealed to them. In other words, they came to an understanding that their message had a bigger purpose than them. It says they weren't serving themselves, but instead Peter's audience is what Peter says. It's not serving themselves, but you contextually to these gentile christians they are serving you when they wrote and it's absolutely mind-boggling and i've tried to make as much sense of it as i can but the prophets had a bigger understanding a bigger glimpse that what their own words were writing was bigger than just an immediate jewish fulfillment there was something bigger and more pressing to what they were writing and pinning down in the old testament jesus i think brings some clarity to this in the gospel of matthew Chapter 13, you remember when the disciples come to him and people come to Jesus and say, why are you speaking to us in parables? And he says to them in verse 11 of Matthew 13, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Watch this. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Note the language as we saw in Daniel as well as other prophets as well. They do not hear, nor do they understand. Now watch what Jesus does in Matthew 13, verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. When he says, and what Jesus is about to do is he's about to quote from Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Bless, he continues, verse 16, this is Jesus speaking, 
Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. It's, it's similar to the language Peter is using here in 1 Peter chapter 1. It wasn't for their benefit, but for yours. And Jesus is saying, it is for your ears, for you hear, for truly I say to you. Watch this. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is absolutely amazing to me. That when the prophets are writing and declaring the word of the Lord, they saw something ahead of them. They knew it was bigger. They knew that a fulfillment was coming. And it's absolutely astonishing to me that, that Isaiah 6, you know the context of Isaiah 6. That's the call of Isaiah. Isaiah is writing about his call into ministry. And he says, who's going to hear me? How long do I keep doing this? And God says, until the hearts and the ears of the people turn dull. And you're kind of left in Isaiah chapter 6 wondering what in the world will become of this. And then Jesus steps into the New Testament and in Matthew 13 quotes from Isaiah 6 and says this prophecy has now been fulfilled. Further, Peter continues talking about that the prophets announced this message. But now these preachers have come along and also have confirmed the announcement of the prophets. And the audience of Peter did not come to know Christ through the Old Testament prophets alone, but through the New Testament preachers that he talks about, those who are proclaiming the good news to them, verse 12. In other words, these preachers interpreted the Old Testament through the lens of Christ as the fulfillment of all of those promises. That's what Peter is doing in the book of Acts. That's what Peter, and you see him preaching in the book of Acts chapter 2. And you're seeing all these people added to their number that day. And the Lord is increasing their number. People coming to faith to a Jewish audience that the scripture has been fulfilled before your eyes, the preachers would say. And Peter would say, the other apostles would say, the scripture has been fulfilled. And Time and time again, what would happen is that people became awakened to the reality that the Old Testament, the accurate way to read and render the Old Testament was through Christ. In other words, if you want to understand the Old Testament, you must side with the way in which Jesus and the apostles and the New Testament come to understand and interpret the Old Testament. In other words, the most correct and accurate way to read the Old Testament is through the lens of the New Testament. And this was a revolutionary thought that, that these followers of Jesus were accurately depicting what the word of the Lord and the prophets had spoke and declaring to them, this is how you interpret the Old Testament. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ. It was absolutely revolutionary. Even in Acts chapter 6, some priests who were Jewish priests became obedient to the faith because they agreed with the apostles' teachings. And they agreed that they had the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. You see this in Acts chapter 6. And the word continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. This is what a New Testament scholar said. His name is James Hamilton, Jr., a fantastic author and theologian, but he said this. He says, the book of Acts records, this has come up on the screen, records how thousands and thousands of people thoroughly familiar with the Old Testament 
were immediately convinced by the way the apostles interpreted the Old Testament as fulfilled in Jesus, including priests responsible for teaching the Scriptures. In other words, the way to understand the Old Testament is to understand it through the lens of Christ and the fulfillment of Christ in the New Testament. But Peter is arguing here, he says that both the prophets and the preachers carried by the Spirit of Christ. Verse 11 says the prophets, for the prophets, it was the Spirit of Christ in them. In verse 12, it says those preachers who are preaching the good news to you do so by the Holy Spirit. And it's all pointing to Christ. It's the expansion of the Jewish hope. And now these Gentile believers have been grafted in, so to speak, as the New Testament would talk about. They reveal, both the prophets and the preachers both reveal that Christ is being revealed. And they exalt Christ in throughout the scriptures. Jesus would say in John chapter 5, he would say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. But note the language, what Peter says there. In 1 Peter, Christ isn't merely the subject of the prophets. He is speaking through the prophets. And Christ isn't merely being proclaimed by the preachers. He is the one compelling their very message. Christ, in other words, isn't merely being revealed. He is carrying the word to completion. He isn't merely the subject of the word of God. No, Christ is the incarnate word of God, John 1. And I think as we read the text, I think as we read the scripture, a lot of us can have a lot of fun and creative and and nice things to say about the scriptures and maybe some good and helpful things as the way that we understand and view our Bible. We may choose to say an acronym or something of that nature that the bible stands for basic instruction before leaving earth or that it is god's manual or rule book in how we should live and I, sure okay i understand that i get that and the bible certainly does have some helpful rules and helpful laws that they are given and the bible certainly may have some good instruction and does have good instruction and good models and examples that we should live our life by as well as some bad examples that we should not live our life by. But folks, don't miss the mark. Don't miss the forest because of the trees. The Bible is ultimately God's self-revelation of himself to mankind. And the apex of Scripture isn't about rules and regulation or basic instruction. It is about the revelation of God in Christ. And everything is pointing to Jesus. And when you read the scripture, you are reading God's revelation of himself and every story whispers the name and person of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you that as you open up your Bibles and when you read and you come to the Bible, come to see the person of God revealed through his scripture and the person of Jesus Christ. Come and see and savor Jesus on every page and so you come to the bible you see and savior christ and you enjoy him beloved if all you do is search the scripture for basic commands and revelation and and regulations your heart will turn cold and it'll turn towards legalism 
And if all you do, beloved, is search the Bible for some good stories or good examples or models for living, then you'll start to grow weary and start to drift as seeing the Bible as something that's totally boring. But if you seek and know that the Scripture, and you see it for what it truly is, God revealing Himself to humanity... And when you open up the pages of your Bible, it is God's revelation to mankind. God is making himself known. And you would see it and you will see it not as rules and regulations or good stories, but instead you begin to seek a person and a relationship. And you see the person of Christ being exalted. You'll be transformed. You'll be captivated. It'll become sweet And it will be a sweet treasure for your life. The prophets and the preachers. Secondly, I want us to see sufferings and glories. The prophets note both, verse 11, the sufferings and the glories of Christ. They are both plural. Sufferings is plural. Glories is plural. If you think back in the the New Testament, the disciples, and especially Peter had a difficult time coming to grips with Christ would suffer. You think you see this in a few different occasions, but in Matthew 16, Christ begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, according to the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he would be killed and raised again on the third day. And Peter took him aside, I think you remember this, and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen. So Peter doesn't like the notion that Christ must suffer in Matthew chapter 16. And just a few verses later, you see Peter on the mount with James and John, and they see Jesus transfigured, and they see the glory of Christ, and he's transfigured on the mountain in Matthew 17. And, and Peter says, should I go make tents for Elijah and for Moses and, and be a part of this just such amazing thing? I love the glory of Christ, right? But he's troubled by the aspect that Christ would have to suffer. It was Peter, after all, that drew the sword in Gethsemane to to save Christ, so to speak, from being taken away and being crucified. Peter was quick to draw the sword to save him from, from suffering, but yet he was happy to see the Lord glorified, but denied that Christ should ever suffer. And yet... They didn't understand, the disciples and Peter didn't understand that both suffering and glory went hand in hand. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. It says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, that he would suffer, that Christ would indeed suffer. He would be hated by his people. He came to that which was his own, and his own people did not receive him. He would be betrayed by his friends. The hour is coming, and indeed here, John, John 16 says, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and they will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Mark fourteen fifty. they all left him and fled. He was deserted and betrayed by his friends. He would be forsaken by his flock as well. 
He says in Matthew 26, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, Zechariah 13. He would also receive scourging and mocking. After he was scourged, he was delivered over to be crucified, Matthew 27. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. And they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand, in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head with it. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and put all his clothes on and put put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. He would be scourged, he would be mocked, and ultimately, yes, the Son of God, Christ, would suffer and he would be crucified. Not only would he receive glory, but he would also receive suffering as well. And you know the climax of Christ's life is the crucifixion before you get to the glory of the, re- of, of the resurrection. And they had crucified him in a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they hung and crucified with him two criminals, one on his right and one on his left, Matthew 27. And the prophets, Peter is declaring, they foresaw all of this to be taking place. In other words, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and the psalmist and all the prophets knew that this would be taking place and it was pointing to the suffering and the glory of Christ. Isaiah 53 is going to come up on the screen, but probably the most pointed example of this prediction that Christ would not only be glorified, but he would also suffer. Isaiah 53, it says, He grew up like before him a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, as, and as one who men hide their faces, he was despised and as we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds or with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, Christ would not see his glory without suffering. And it was necessary, the scripture says, that Christ should suffer. And that the Jesus and New Testament writers time and time again would say these things happened so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. These things were predicted. They were prophesied. They were counted on and though while the disciples may have been comfortable and we too may be comfortable with the glory of christ the reality is that christ also suffered as well and he suffered and then 
he would enter into his glory. You see his glory through the transfiguration that Peter got to witness as well through his resurrection. And Peter says, I'm an eyewitness of those things. And to his glorious return that is coming in Revelation 22, it says, he who testifies says these things, surely I am coming soon. And Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. And we look forward to his reign and power in Revelation 20, that he is returning to establish his kingdom and reign over all things. Yes, there is a glory that is coming and the prophets also proclaim this as well. The whole Old Testament is filled with a narrative about glory. It's about the glory of the Lord. It's about the whole goal of the Old Testament is that of glory. From the garden to the cross, the Old Testament continues to put forth visions of glory. From the tabernacle to the temple, from the glory of the Lord filling the tent and the temple, And God judges his people when they turn from idolatry and they give their glory to someone else. They give honor to someone else and they bow down and they worship false gods. They become idolatrous. And God himself says, I will not give my glory to another. And we see the final fulfillment of that when the true glory of God comes and dwells and tabernacles among his people, namely Jesus Christ. And all through his work, through the work of Christ, not just Israel now will be counted as God's people, but Gentiles too grafted in. And the prophets are proclaiming that both his suffering and his glory. And Peter now understands and highlights both of them. In other words, that the road for glory and the road to glory for Christ was through suffering. And he's turning to these Gentile Christians and he says, likewise, you too. If you want to see the glory that is coming, the road in which you get there is a road of suffering. And we follow him, yes, in suffering, but also the glory that is to come. This is why Peter is pointing us to a hope that is in Christ, even in the midst of suffering. But Christian, Jesus never promised the Christian life that would be a bed of roses. And I think that we have created kind of a foreign understanding and way of a Christian life, namely one that aspires to the crown of glory while remaining exempt from a crown of thorns. And oh, how I think we should pray that we might suffer well if and when it comes. How does that make the prayer list? How often does that make the prayer list? But Jesus says to Peter, says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that you, when you have overcome, you can encourage your brothers. And we have opted, I believe. Church, we have opted for a suffer-less Christianity. But the road to the glory of Christ was a road that was marked with suffering. And beloved, we need not be shocked when trials come upon us. And Peter says, don't act like it's something strange is happening to you. But Peter reminds us is that no, you are sharing in Christ's suffering, but also know that you will share in his glory as well. First Peter 4, he puts these two back together again. He says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, 
you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think it's a tough question, but would we begin to pray to that end that if suffering does come, that we would suffer and endure well? A difficult prayer, but certainly a prayer of faith and a prayer that seeks to follow Jesus even when life gets difficult. Sure, we would rather pray for other things, but Peter means to tell us and aim to us that we should pray that if suffering comes, we would suffer as one not placing our hope in this world, but in a world to come. And know that suffering is here. Glory is to follow, and we are following Christ in his suffering, but we will also follow him in his glory as well. And then lastly, I want us to see the gospel of grace. Note the language that he uses here, this language of salvation and grace and good news. Look at verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, these prophets prophesied, what did they prophesy about? About the grace Verse 11, that the sufferings of Christ, all of them pointing to, verse 12, the preaching of the good news. The word there for good news, the word there that is, is euangelio, euangelizo, uh, it is, literally means to address with gospel teaching or with good news. It shares the same root as a word that you might have heard preached on, euangelion, which is the Greek word for good news or gospel. And it shares the same root, very similar, in other translations, maybe even your translations, interpret this, that they preach the gospel. It's, it's very close in nature, and that's the idea that's being brought forth here. That these preachers preach the gospel message. They preach the good news of Christ. And I think that's often missed. Sometimes we have this unction or or foreign um, understanding of how do you explain the gospel. But the gospel is very much that. The gospel is good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And it's likened to be something that you would see on headline news. It's like the reality of Jesus is to be like discovering life-altering news in the Sunday morning print. It's like you read it in a newspaper and it's good news. You have good news. It's good tidings. There is good news. There is gospel. It's like reading it in the Sunday edition. If you were to open up your paper and on the front page and in bold print, it said something like this. Pandemic over, cure has been found. Our world would turn on its head if that were to happen, if that news were to be delivered today. Pandemic over, cure has been found. It would transform everything about our society today. All of a sudden, stores would open back up. All of a sudden, we would get back to life as normal. The very thing that had haunted and halted society has been eliminated. But you know as well as I do, that has not happened yet. And science, yes, is working very hard to find that cure. And I believe one day, yes, you probably will read something very similar to that on headline news. That a cure of some type has been found. But the reality is, is that there is better news to be found today. Because there is a greater disease that is wreaking havoc on 
humanity. And Scripture says that we are all sin-sick. And we are under a curse. We are under the curse of sin. And one day, every one of us will feel its effect. And the life-altering good news that is being proclaimed from the cross and the empty tomb is that Christ is the cure. Christ is the cure. Be healed. Look and live. What an incredible good news that is being proclaimed that God did not abandon us. He did not condemn us. Instead, He seeks to save us. What love He has for humanity. Peter says these are things angels long to look in. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, Peter says this, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And you think about the comparison. What good news that Christ set his affection on humanity. And when the angels had sinned, He said he cast them into hell, but yet though we have sinned, God does not cast us into hell. He does not bring final judgment on us right away. Instead, he is patient and kind and gracious, and he sends to us his son to die in our place that we should believe in him, and we should be saved from the wrath of God and from sin and from the consequences that sin brings. And Peter is opening and pointing us to this good news that has been announced. The grace of God, the salvation of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the glory of Christ is to your benefit, Gentiles. It's for your benefits. You've been grafted in. You've been accepted. The promises that were given in the Old Testament were not found in the fulfillment of Israel. They are found in Christ. And now you have access to be saved. You can be saved by believing and trusting in Christ for salvation. And it says this message, this has all of heaven's attention today. Angels are longing to look into these things. In other words, it's not for them. God has set his affection on those made in his image, namely humanity, to rescue them from sin. And the angels long to look into these things. But the angels do worship the Lamb who is worthy. And they call to one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they do rejoice and they are ministering spirits when sinners repent and trust Christ. But this gospel, this good news, it says it is sent from heaven. And it has heaven's attention and fixation this morning. Angels long and search out When will Christ come and finally bring his reign? The heavens look, the angels look into the matter. When will sinners come, repent and trust Christ? How vast and how long and wide is the gospel message going to spread all over the earth? The angels are looking into these things. And the angels declare that Christ may receive glory, that Christ may receive worth, and that He is holy, holy, holy. Christ and His gospel has the attention of all of heaven this morning. To which I ask you, does it have your attention? Does Christ and His gospel have your attention? Can you see and rejoice and say with the angels, He is worthy, He is holy, He is holy, holy, holy. He sent His Son that I may not perish. That gospel, God rescuing sinners, 
has the attention of heaven. For when the angels sin, he casts them into hell. But when humanity sins, he is gracious and kind and sends his son to suffer in their place. Does his gospel have your attention this morning? That Christ suffered and died for sin. And that by grace and through faith alone in Christ, you can be saved. Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in this good news? Have you seen the beauty of Christ in his gospel? It's revealed all through the scripture. Open up your Bible. See Christ and him exalted. Look to Christ and live. Trust, repent, believe in Christ and you will be saved. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to believe in his gospel. Make that public and make it known. You can do that by sending us a message on Facebook as well as an email, parker at gracepointhenderson.com. Just send the message that says, I repent, I believe. Would gladly follow up with you about that, about what it means to continue to follow and trust Christ. The gospel has heaven's attention. Does it have yours? Let's respond. Pray together. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. For more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10:15 a.m. Be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.